This episode of the Dave McWilliams podcast is sponsored by Island's Edge, a brand new, unexpectedly refreshing Irish stout. This is part of Island's Edge podcast tour of live podcasts, where we want to explore the way in which different approaches, views and perspectives can lead to positive outcomes. We want to bring unexpectedly refreshing views and perspectives to the world of current affairs. So we're delighted to be part of this series. And here's our unexpectedly refreshing chat with a pint of Island's Edge in hand, of course, and we hope you enjoy it. My God, how are you all doing? How are you? Lovely to see you. This is, this is, you must be lost. What are you doing here for economics? <laughs> for God's sake. No, listen, it's great to, great to see everybody. John and I were in there thinking, this is incredibly Celtic tigery to, to be sure in. Is, yeah. John, I was going to say, to be in <laughs> no, Lily's yeah. Bordello of all place. I mean, the shite that went on here. <laughs> Uh, it's really we shocking. don't need to go into those stories, though, Mike. <laughs> <Sweet. laughs> You're probably better off not to. <laughs> but it was funny. Like I was, I was actually just thinking that I was getting, like coming in a taxi, and uh, I was telling John that there was one of those classic Dublin taxi drivers, and the story today was about a guy called Michael Lynn. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Who yeah. robbed a few quid uh, back in the day, and the Dublin taxi was driving. Oh no, no, you know it's amazing. Those lads always get away with it, you know. And I was saying, yeah, 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 yeah. And then, of course, starts to talk to me about economics. I'll tell you economics. Precisely. <laughs> and I was just sitting, and I was thinking of just during the peak of the Celtic Tire, where this place was a red velvet rope savannah, right? Of, of RSVP yeah. and Hello Magazine shite. And uh, the funny thing about Dublin taxi drivers is if you do TV work or anything in Ireland... You have a very weird relationship with them, John. Yeah. They either obviously either love you or completely hate you. <laughs> and you've no idea when you get into the cab, is it going to be a lovey or a hatey? I think, so, you know, the giveaway is when they crank up Q102. <laughs> no, the giveaway is when you get in, they go, and yeah. all the doors go down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember just, I was doing some TV shows saying about the economy is going to collapse and the housing market, la, la. And I was in London and I came back and it was uh, a Sunday, no, Monday night. And I get into the taxi, hi, how are you doing? And he doesn't say anything. And then all I hear is, oh, Jesus. <laughs> it's only your blatant self. And I'm thinking, oh, Jesus, yeah. And at this stage, and he's sitting there and he's got the big Dubs GAA jersey. And it's rolled down over the Ned like a massive blue condom. Right, and I'm looking at him, and he's he's looking at me, and he goes, "Oh yeah, no, seeing you on telly the other night, yeah, no, I seen you in your fancy suits and all, you know, yeah, you know, you're very articulate, <laughs> you're quite thoughtful, young fella, you know, and her inside, you know, she believes yeah. you, well, you know, young fella, when it comes to economics, you talk through your whole." <laughs> How do you get up from that? So I said, okay, that's, that's great. Thank you. For, where can we go from here? And then I, I said, he said, where are you after coming from, son? I said, London. And he says, I'm only after coming back from Cusa da Si myself <laughs> over the weekend. I said, uh, nice, nice. And he said, very nice place, Cusa da Si, my friend. And you know when a dub says my friend with a T? Yeah. 
It's yeah, very yeah, threatening. Yeah. And then he said, that's great. Kusudas is lovely. Yeah, nice. Nice part of the world. Lovely. And he goes, yeah, I'm after buying five gaffs off plants. Nice. Lovely for you. And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lovely. Amazing development. Golf course coming in 2029. So yeah, that's going kind of well. He goes, he says to me, lovely people, them Greeks. <laughs> <laughs> Some people ask me, how did you know the crash was coming? When Bank of Ireland is giving taxi drivers money to buy apartments, not only in a country, but in a continent, they don't know. Yeah. You know the Celtic driver's over. Well, so, as, so maybe this is the peak now of the next boom. Uh, absolutely. But as they say, Mac, you know, may you live in interesting times, and we certainly are. Oh, yeah. Yeah, know, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're going through a massive change at the moment. And this is kind of the end of a change. So let's, yep. let's talk about change, Mac. Let's talk about change. Okay, well, John, the thing is, like, what is amazing, actually, we'll start the gig with a quote from Lenin. Oh, okay. No better man. No better man, right? <laughs> uh, we quote from Vladimir Lenin. And he said, there are decades when nothing happens and there are weeks when decades happen. And you have that feeling, John, that we're living through those weeks where lots and lots of things that we thought were set in stone, were permanent, are actually in a state of flux. Well, we, we, we've been here before, like. We so have, and the interesting thing is, uh, if you go back, every generation, which I find amazing, is that every generation feels that whatever crisis they're experiencing is the big one. Right? Mm. Nobody else has ever experienced anything like this in all their lives, right? Yeah. Not our parents, not our grandparents, yeah. all that sort of stuff. And the funniest thing is when you go back to look at even a hundred years ago, right? You go back to 1922, right? And you look at what was happening there. Like Lenin, that quote was from 1922. And in 1922, you think, okay, what was happening? 1922, the Soviet Union was established. Yeah after yeah. a civil war in Ukraine, yeah. okay? A massive, massive war all around the Soviet Union, but also ending in Ukraine. You think Ezra Pound, the uh, American poet, said that 1922 was the beginning of the modern world, yeah. the modern age. And there is a feeling, what he was trying to say is that 1922 was actually when the 20th century began. And everything that went before that was like a hangover from the 19th century. And that's the question that I'm with my head is, is this the year when this century begins? Because what you, when you go back and you look at, uh, at what happened, so 1922 is the establishment of our country, okay? A country that got yeah. freedom for the first time in years and begins the process of the breakup of, of the, the British Empire. It's also, extraordinarily, the year that the pandemic ends. There was a three-year pandemic. In terms of parallels with now, right, there's a three-year Pandemic, the Spanish flu. The Kansas flu, please. The Kansas flu, exactly. <laughs> That's actually true. You poor old Spaniards. It came. Yeah, as they know. got a bad rap they for that. They got a bad, yeah, 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 yeah. What happened was uh, Kansas is, if you've ever had the misfortune of watching American football, uh, which is brutal, I mean, it shouldn't be allowed, right? And I used to, I taught for a couple of years, a couple of semesters in a place called Notre Dame. Yeah. Or Notre Dame, which is the Fighting Irish. The Fighting Irish, in yeah, yeah, yeah. a place called South Bend in Indiana. And 
there's a thing called tailgates in American football. It's huge. Like a, yeah, it's a huge it's thing. It's like a session in a car. Yeah. Right? Just what you just call it, a session in a yeah. car. Or a but picnic. A picnic, exactly. <laughs> and so you do and I the, the first and last game I went to see was against an outfit called the Hogs, and they were from Kansas. Right. Okay. Uh, no, they were from Arkansas. Okay. Yeah. Arkansas, pig web, <laughs> Bill Clinton, Arkansas, the whole yeah. thing. And the, the swine flu, the Spanish flu was a swine flu that was brought from actual farm laborers from Arkansas to Kansas, mm. where they were drafted into the American army. They were shipped to France. They started to infect French troops, British troops, and then German troops. And of course, the French and the Brits and the Germans in the middle of a war couldn't tell their people, well, actually, you've been killed by a flu. So they didn't report on it. And the poor old Spaniards reported Spaniards did, And they got yeah. nailed. Spanish yeah. flu. And they had nothing to do with it at all in the first place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It wasn't me, boss. It wasn't me, boss. <laughs> but if you think about what happened there, right? Again, so you, the world is coming out of a massive pandemic, exactly as is happening now. You've got the formation of our country. You've got the breakup of other countries. You've got the breakup of all these empires. Again, it's got that feeling. Then you look at what was happening after the pandemic. There was supply chain issues, exactly the sort of stuff we're having now. There was inflation, of course. People were worried about hyperinflation, which came to pass in Germany a year or two later. Yeah. And of course, they were talking about the gold standard then and going back to the gold standard. And now, of course, you have all the Bitcoiners talking about digital gold and all that sort of stuff, which we can talk about again in a while. So there's a, there's a sense of repetition, is what I'm saying, in history, a really interesting repetition. And then you say, you know, our generation says, oh yeah, but they were, what about technological change and, you know, all that sort of malarkey that we're going through. And then you look, okay, what technological change were they going through? And you think 1922, right? They, they have electricity for the first time. Yeah. Imagine that. Imagine how transformative. You're living in the dark, literally. Yeah. Humans. Yeah, and yeah, then you yeah, switch yeah. on a light, right? They have the radio for the first time. Yeah. When you did a lot of radio. You still do yeah, a lot yeah, of radio. Yeah, 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 but yeah. Imagine what it was like to live in rural Ireland, right? And a little voice in the corner of your kitchen starts to beam in stuff you've never heard, accents you've never heard, ideas you've never heard. There's also the motor car, the car. Henry Ford sold more Model T Fords in than any other year. So that was the big year for him, wasn't it? Was it was a big year for Ford. And then what happened was the, the rest cries are all caught yeah, up. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the point is that all these technological changes were going on after a pandemic at a time of huge political yeah. and social strife. And then you think, okay, well, what else was going on? Well, actually, you, you know, there was like the big movie, because movies were just taken off then at, at, at that yes, time. Yes, they were. And the big movie at the time, the 20s, was Metropolis. It you was Metropolis, Fritz Lang, and, yeah, yeah. And, and that was just a vision of the future, which is all shiny and glitzy and automated yeah. and, and all that kind of stuff. And, 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 the, and, and based on the elevator, which is the other great yes. technology of the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, probably right. the most impressive urban transport technology in the world is the elevator, and Dublin and Ireland have never used it. <laughs> Think about that, right? We've never used the lift. I mean, this is not like even a four-story city. It's a one-story city. Yeah. We can come back to that. It's like a Bantu sort of city. Anyway, but when you, when you look at all this, so Einstein gets the Nobel Prize in 1922. So you're going yeah. to the nuclear age, right? Picasso is doing his blue stuff, his blue period. Freud is bringing psychoanalysts and psychoanalysis. Yeah, yeah, people. yeah, yeah. And of course, James Joyce publishes Ulysses on the second day of the second week 
of the second month of the second year of the second decade, which is also for Joyce's 40th birthday. Right. right. So huge change going on. So what I find fascinating is when you look at history, that's why in the podcast we do so much economic history. And when you look at economic history, it's all happened before. Yeah. And this moment is pivotal for us. There's no doubt. And it's exciting and it's dangerous and it's challenging. But when you look back, think about our grandparents, our great-grandparents living here. When the country set up, on the day the country set up, it's like, oh, fuck. What do we do now? You know, because there was no money. There was no constitution. There was no parliament. There was no civil service. All these things had to be rebuilt. And there was a threat of a civil war which came to pass. So what I'm saying is, when you look at history, there are these moments. Yeah. And the world changes after them, right? And people do get on and they can roll with the punches. It strikes me that... What has actually happened now is in the same way as Pound thought the modern world began in 1922 and thought that the 20th century began, I think there's a real feeling that the 21st century begins now. Yeah. That everything that went before, there was an age of extraordinary naivety after the Berlin Wall, all that sort of stuff we can talk about. But now we're into the new century. Well, the, the, the parallels are, are quite striking, yeah. actually. And and unfortunately, unfortunately, you know, history does repeat itself. Yeah, that goes. But, but but what you're talking about there is you're talking about that hundred year cycle, a big long. Yeah, yeah. ending ne- with the Wall Street crash and Hitler. By the way, right? Just to, just to keep us upbeat. Oh, okay, you know. fair enough. Fair enough. You know, <laughs> but, but just Joe Stalin emerges from the shadows. Little fellow yeah, with clash that- comes in. Says, I don't like that sort of thing. Uh, you get the Wall Street crash. But, but interesting. And then, and then we had the, the big uh, financial crash. We in... had the Wall Street crash. And all the, so, so the interesting thing is the 20s ends up, Europe and America go in opposite ways. Europe uh, becomes very nationalist, yeah. quite fascist. Our friend Mussolini, March in Rome, also in 1922. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. If you saw Mussolini, it was, it was obviously the stroll on Rome. <laughs> Can't really imagine it marching. It was like, don't yeah. waddle on Rome, right? Yeah. But, but or, or it was more of a sachet, maybe. It was more of a sachet, yeah, yeah. It's been pushed towards Rome, edged, nudged. But so, I mean, Europe goes quite fascist, and America, the opposite. Yeah. Uh, the Americans go through an extraordinary decade of economic growth and extraordinary lo- brilliance across the whole areas of arts and everything. Then you get the crash. And away you go to the 1930s, which is the appalling decade. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's lots of things that happen, but I always come back to the fact is that there's nothing unusual about what's going on now. This happens in every decade, or yeah. at least every long period of history. Yeah, well, it's actually something that uh, we spoke with Neil Howe about, yeah. about this, the kind of fourth turning and these yeah. things happen all the time. But, okay, so if that was the, that was the long cycle, the long 100-year cycle, which feels like it's coming to an end and we're starting a yeah. new cycle. There are shorter cycles, though. Yes, there are. And, and, yeah. and, and the, the, the shorter cycle at the moment is, um, or that we should look at, perhaps, is the last, say, 40 or 50 years. Like, yeah. for instance, you wrote The Pope's Children. Oh, I did. Yes, I you did. did. Yes. And amongst many other 
Just <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But 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 that was the start. I mean, you and yeah, I, no, yeah. you and I grew up in the eighties. We did. Uh, as we, we did. were teenagers, we did also we were increasingly trunking off, trunking out the seventies as if that didn't happen. <laughs> but frankly, we're actually kids of the seventies. I was in the eighties, yeah, and the fashion wasn't so good either. Yeah, yeah, but anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the eighties was was kind of us. Yeah. But but there was a big change that there was started a big change. Yeah, yeah, in yeah, yeah, the yeah. late seventies, early eighties. Okay. Apart from music, which apart was music. fantastic. The music was great, but yeah. I mean. I, I always always believe that economics goes in these big, big cycles, these super cycles. So when I hear people talking about the next year, the next two years, it's kind of, we'll get to it, but it's not what actually drives the way I think about the economy. I think about the economy in these kind of generational shifts, maybe 30, every 30 or 40 years. And there's no doubt actually that we're coming to, again, an end of a 40-year cycle, which started, you know, actually around the time of the Pope's children, let's say about 1980, 1979, 82, around now. Sorry, sorry, before you go any further, go on. Tell us, what's the Pope's children? Where did you get that name? Okay, Uh, the name comes from, uh, John and I were brought up on an estate in Monkstown called Windsor Park, uh, which was so entitled, which I always loved, was because when the estate was built (laughs) in the 1950s, uh, all the newlyweds uh, got together and they paid 1,200 quid for each house which was a lot of money at the time. And they got together and they said, what are we going to call the estate? And uh, Cheers is Mahan's Ma, who oh, really? passed away the other day, yeah, uh, came up with the a very, very Catholic name of Post Pope Pius X Avenue. Right? Really? So you I didn't and I, know that, actually. Oh, no, this is a great one. This is a great one. And uh, so it was Pope Pius X Avenue, and there was going to a vote. And, of course, uh, my mother and father... Uh, having paid, like, you know, you're that yeah. two notches above the council estate next door, right? Put so their ha- foot down. Absolutely. <laughs> and there was a, there's a rear guard action against Post Pipe the Fifth because they thought it was going to sound too much like Monkstown Farm across yeah. the way, right? Which basically you have estates named after patriots uh, and popes. Oliver right? Plunkett and all that stuff, yeah, Rory yeah, yeah, O'Connor, yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. So they got together and apparently they met in my kitchen. What? Uh, yeah, yeah. They, 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 they splint, the splinter group. Uh, which was marshaled by my mother, whose antenna to social snobbery, as you know, is very acute. And they tried to sit down, and apparently they said to him, you know, at the time, what is the most English-sounding name you can have, right? Because Irish-sounding names are council estates, right? So they came up with Windsor. Fucking the Jubilee year, shite, right? So we're born in this, we're born in this, anyway. And what happens then, John and I are born in this estate, and... It's an estate of 100 houses, so let's say there was like four or five kids in every family. So it's like about 500 kids. It's like a big borstal. They're running around with froze and parallels and all sorts yeah. of carry on. And then the Pope thing happens, right? And uh, they announce there's going to be a youth mass, which is a really bad idea, okay? Because <laughs> I, re- I remember it was outside your house and they rented like one of those Ford minivans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Down. And you heard the great, <laughs> Jarvis, the, great, the great sound of Dunleary mating is the clank of flagons of cider in a plastic bag. And I remember looking out and hearing the clank of the flagons as all the big lads and the big girls yeah. who were older than us went down and they all got totally scuttered, right? And it was like the electric picnic. It was like an electric picnic for Catholics. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... Apparently, by the time they got to Athlone, it was like Sodom and Gomorrah in the back of the fucking van. And uh, one of the girls... Go on. One of the girls uh, 
lost her virginity at the Pope's Mass. And this was the stuff of legend, right? Okay, and worse, she lost, she lost some fella from the noggin, right? So it was class war as well as moral war, all that sort of shite was going on. And my sisters would talk about this in hushed tones in the kitchen. And, uh, and that always, that, those memories always remain with you as a kid, right? And they come with you. And then years, years later, I was working uh, in the central bank doing yeah. my economic stuff. Oh, uh, back, yeah. back then... Hard when, time. Fuck off. <laughs> back, well, kind of part time, no. But it was back then when actual fact... Economics departments did things like worry about demographics, where we put houses and where we might put trains. And so basically my job was to, to go back and look and see how many kids were born in every year, right? And therefore we'd need the demand for hospitals, demand for houses, the stuff that we should be doing now. We actually were doing, believe it or not, in the early 90s when I started that job. And the idea was like, if we, how many schools will we need in what areas based on population? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, fine, okay, I'm working away. And then I noticed something, which is the Irish population, the Republic of Ireland's population peaked on the sixth month <laughs> of 1980, nine months to the day after the Pope kissed the tarmac. So, so Irish people responded to the Pope by fornicating. Right? That, was our, that was how Catholic we were, right? That's, that was how religious we were. This girl was one of the many, right? <laughs> Uh, that always struck me, and I remember thinking, I'll say this to the governor of the central bank, and then, no, David, that's not the way, you know, that's, that's not the way you talk as a public economist in Ireland when you're working for the state. And so it always, it always amazed me that basically everyone responded to the Pope by fornicating. Yeah. And our it's a good response, in fairness. It's a very good response to the Pope, exactly. And, and our population peaked, and that's where the title comes from, because I wanted to write about that generation that were born in that baby boom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the, they, they were basically the little lads on our road who came after us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And little I, girls. It all changed from there. And also, you know, what's very important in economics is you've got to get demography right. Yeah. Because demography explains so much. So, yeah, so that's where, that's where that, but, uh, but, that but, title came from. But, but when, I have to say this, and maybe you've heard this before, but when... Mark was working in the central bank. I was off in London and I came back for a few days or whatever. And I decided I'd give Mac a quick call, you know, maybe we'll go for a, an early evening pint after work or whatever. And uh, so I dialed the central bank. I didn't have his direct line. And you didn't have mobile phones in those days, of course. So I dialed the central bank and, and uh, hello. This is, by the way, about four o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> Set up a point for about five, half five. I thought that was reasonable. Hello, Central Bank. Oh, hello. Can I speak to Dave McWilliams, please? Who? Uh, Dave McWilliams. Were you talking to the security guys? This is the security okay. guys. Reception had shut down at this stage. Four <laughs> o'clock, reception, done, closed, out the door. So security guys. And uh, your man goes, hang on a second. And he holds the phone out here. And he shouts over to his buddy across the way, who's Dave and Mike Williams? And I'm just listening at the end of the phone. And your man, all I hear is, from the other side. And your man goes, oh, your man. The redhead fellow walks around here thinking he owned it the place. 
<laughs> and he goes, yeah, that's him, yeah. No, no, he's long gone. <laughs> Fucking part-timer. <laughs> it was the civil service, John. It was a different time. There were movies to go to. There was four o'clock movies. Of course, yeah. Quarter past four. All sorts of high-end artist movies in around the, 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 the cinema beside the cop shop on uh, Pier Street. What was the name of it? Uh, what was the name of it? Uh, the screen. Oh, the screen, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the, and, uh, But just to, to come back, so that these 40-year cycles, I think, I think we're going through the tail end. So what happens in around that time, 1979, 80, Mrs. Thatcher gets in in the UK. Yeah. Ronald Reagan gets in in yeah. America. They declare a war on organized labor, and they really do declare a war on organized yeah. labor. Paul Vocker, the central bank governor, precipitates a huge recession in the United States, your friend, Bruce Springsteen, who I still see is charging handsomely for his blue-collar tickets. Yes. Uh, Why not? He's got to milk it, man. He's got to milk yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I tell you, there'd be no from Asbury Park paying 160 snots <laughs> to go and see him. I'd go to see him for an hour, but not four. Yeah. It's like, stop! After an hour. But, uh, so you think that what was actually happening then, you get a big ideological shift in, in, the, in, West, in the West, and, and in Western Europe and the United States. You get things like shareholder value becoming... The obsession with financial markets, you get disinflation, so you get this extraordinary rally in bond markets, interest yeah. rates come down, you get a shift between capital and labor, so basically labor gets less and the owners of capital get more. So people who, over the last 30 years, have depended on their income uh, from wages, which is the vast majority of people, have suffered, whereas people who've depended on their income from dividends or rents or capital appreciation, as we know in this country, so, have done so, really well. So are you, are you pointing the finger at Thatcher and Reagan? No, I'm just saying that it was, a, it, it was an ideological... I, I think Shift. It, yeah, yeah, it was a pendulum swing. So if you think of the period between 1945 and, let's say, 1980, right? Yeah. It was a period of big government. It was the period where public education was expanded yeah. rapidly in yeah. this country later on, but we did it in this country free education, free health, huge amount of council houses being built, relatively high taxes, relatively low profits. So you have this quite left-of-centre ideology going yeah. from the United States all the way across yeah. to West Germany and Japan as well. But they, they were following this trickle-down economic kind of... So in, the, so in the 40 years prior to Reagan, there was a significant, what you would describe as left-of-centre yeah. politics. That pendulum swung with Reagan and then Thatcher, and then, of course, the Berlin Wall falls down, and you get the victory of that sort of idea. Yeah. And so it becomes amplified. It's, it's, it's like Thatcherism on steroids. Most e easy or most obvious to see if you go to Central Europe or Eastern Europe, where, where they, they adopted this mm, kind mm. of shock therapy. Now, people don't realize that shock therapy is what you do, or what was done in the 40s to people with mental illnesses. Right? I mean, economists, this is what you actually shock to the brain. Yes. And they say, oh, we'll do shock therapy in economies. And I, even then I say, no, I wouldn't like that. Yeah. I wouldn't like to be, you know, <laughs> that, does, that doesn't the sound good. Any, so, in any situation. So what you have, but, but in all these ideologies, there are the seeds of their own destruction. In all great ideological movements, when you look at them, there's always the seeds of their own destruction. And they usually come from what was regarded as their strength or their advantage yeah and of course what it was is if you constantly constantly favor i'm sounds like a marxist here the owners of capital right okay exactly the red wedge <laughs> you and me 
right? Power to the people! What was your name? Citizen Smith. Smith. (laughs) Do you know the Citizen Smith, actually, it's funny you just mentioned that. Citizen Smith was a programme in the late 70s, right? Uh, It was about about a Labour Party member from North London, very, very communist character. It was written by the same man who wrote Only Fools and Horses. I swear to God. And he was a a son of Irish uh, immigrants. And it shows you, I always think culture is always miles ahead of politics, right? That he had figured out that Britain was actually shifting and that he had to abandon his communist character. This was on BBC at nine o'clock. It was a very popular show. And replace him with a Thatcherite character before Thatcher. Yeah. So Del Boy came before, because he was on the street listening to what working class people were saying in the UK. And they were saying, we've had enough of this commie stuff, the Labour. We want to we go out. So... It's an amazing thing, that guy's name. I don't know if you Google it, I don't know what his name is. He died a couple of years ago. He was from Camberwell. And he, yeah. he just, it's that idea, John, the culture is always ahead of analysis and journalism and the commentary. You can feel it in, yeah. in music and popular culture. Absolutely kind of you can. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, but yeah. so, so let's just take it back a little bit. So we're talking about kind of change and transformation change, yeah. Yeah, here. Yeah, 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 yeah. So... Between that time of kind of 1979 and... And now, more or less. And now, you know, that 40-year cycle, although yeah. the maths is a bit suspect there, but... but yeah. <laughs> yeah, 40, 41 and <laughs> 2, 3, yeah, don't worry, give or take a year, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but there's been a huge change in Ireland. Let's just yeah. look at Ireland. <clears throat> Economically, societally... Uh, Completely, yeah. You know, habits have changed, drinking habits have changed even, you know. Yeah, there you go. But, you know, talk to me a little yeah. bit about that. So, I mean, Ireland, I mean, the amazing, so the amazing thing is during this period, Ireland, the economy has taken off. The society has changed, I, I think, quicker and more profoundly than any society in the West, without a shot, in a much shorter period. And that societal change is social, it's moral, it's political, it's ethnic, it's all yeah. these changes, right? And I've always felt, again, that... The reason that Ireland was endemically poor, I mean, if you look at the history of the state for the first 100 years, the first 70-odd years, nothing actually happened. This economy went backwards. Mm. And I'm well, they were dancing at the crossroads. They were dancing fairness. at the crossroads. They were, exactly. They were minding mice at the crossroads as well. But so I've always felt like, why, why did that happen here? And then why didn't it happen? And so why, for example, did so many European countries grow much, much quicker, create much more pleasant yeah. societies, much more tolerant societies, they had much greater wealth. And we were left behind. And and it made no sort of sense to me. I remember going, you know, when you and I went to London as kids, like working in bars and and working, you know, I was always intrigued, you know, but I was also intrigued, like, why do we go backwards so much? And and it's something that stayed stayed with me. And then I realized that economics is only a reflection of culture. Mm. And if you have a society where what drives economics, what drives the elixir, the magic of economics, is innovation. It's when somebody actually backs themselves and says, I can do something better. I can set up a company, I can make an album, I can write poetry, I can do something. It's this idea, there's no society that grows wealthy that doesn't innovate, okay? And then you think, okay, well, what happened, what type of people innovate in societies? And usually, if you meet innovative people, creative people, they are people who don't want a job, they don't want a boss, they don't want to work, they want to express themselves commercially. Yeah, right? Yeah. 
And those type of people also tend to be dissenters. They tend to be outsiders. They tend to be very, very bad at taking rules. And what happens, and I think what actually happened in our society is the dogma of the Catholic Church, we were laughing at it there, right? Mm. The combination of state dogma, which is kind of know your place, okay? And religious dogma, which is we're going to weed out all the dissenters. Yeah. So like any mates of ours that were gay years ago, right? They went to London, they never came home. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. They never, ever came home. Anybody who was sexually different, morally different, physically, yeah. this was an entirely generic white society, okay? Yeah. And that sort of oppressive dogma forced the people who wanted to do things, who wanted to change, to think, I can't do it here. So they emigrated, they left. And the people, the innovative people who stayed were told, know your place. So what you found was there was a huge stagnation of the society socially and a massive, equally, I think, difficult stagnation economically. And then you think of the last 40 years and the correlation between this country becoming open mm. and tolerant, kinder, actually kinder to people. You know, when we were kids, girls who got pregnant on our road were shunned. But when we were kids, gay people on our street such as those who came out were, were shunned. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Divorced yeah. people were shunned. Abort, don't even talk about abortion, right? Yeah. Okay? And all that is an oppression that takes people who are creative and want to change. And what they do say is, I want to do something with my life, but I can't do it here. And what you see is this extraordinary correlation, which is why I always believe that economics isn't about pulling levers and GDP and all that sort of stuff, between us becoming socially and morally tolerant and accepting. Because commercial self-expression, which is that idea that I'm going to do something myself, right? And moral self-expression, or sexual self-expression, or political self-expression, that I am different and I'm going to live the way I want to live, they go together. If you go back to the Dutch Republic of the late 17th century, right? What you see is the societies that became liberal also became rich. And what actually happened to us was, you know, you hear all this thing about Whitaker and Lamas. It's all bullshit, right? It's a big really? shibboleth. Yeah, it's all nonsense. You okay. cannot liberate a country that's saturated with dogma. Yeah. So it didn't sure. matter that Whitaker and Lamas were writing papers about, oh, we're going to be nice to Americans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not what creates the economy. What creates the economy is the groundswell of dissenting people who feel that they can do something different. Yeah. You know, setting up a bar, setting up a beer, whatever it happens to be. It doesn't have to be <laughs> but Silicon it, it's, Valley. It's you know? almost like, you know, I've got four kids and you've got, you've got two kids, but it's almost like your and kids... And unlike Boris Johnson, we know how many kids we have. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Good yeah. point. But, it, but it's almost like, you know, it's, it's just, it's giving them a little bit of encouragement and they flourish. Yeah. And, and you went to a, a preschool, I went to a, a Christian Brothers school, and it was very oppressive. That's what I'm saying. So basically, yeah. we all know that people respond better from encouragement than punishment, as a general rule. Children, people you work with, people who, you know, when I'm, when I'm teaching in Trinity, when I'm talking to the students, it's encouragement opens the door to people. That's the lights that shone. It's not punishment. And if you encourage societies to do their own thing, they will do their own thing, right? And part of doing their own thing, I always think that economics is like coming out. That actually, <laughs> no, really, I do. It's, it's, like a, it's like everybody has a voice inside them. And when you know, you think when, when we're kids, right? 
when you're a child, when you're seven or eight, you have this voice, which is you. And you're yeah. different to everybody else, and you're in the playground. I remember, I had a big red fro. I was a weird kid, right? Be yeah, you around. were. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, <laughs> but that little kid in you, right? That voice that we all have inside of us—that's the creative instinct that each human has. And what we see in Ireland and our generation, John, which is we were the last. But I think about my mum and dad and, and their parents, right? Mm. Was that that voice was destroyed? It was. It was, they were told, you are not unique. You're going to be part of this gang. So that sort of creative inspiration that drives people, it could be making mu music. It could be writing poetry. But, but it could be saying nothing. That's my point. Yeah, and, yeah, and I, I get it totally. And economists always come and say, oh, well, we invested in this and we built this feckin' road and we had a train system. And that's not what makes economics grow. Yeah. That makes it easier to get from My to mother me. talks about this. My mother is... is, is uh, 90 this year and and unfortunately the, the old dementia has kind of kicked in and it's and it's really sad she's a sweetheart to see. by the way i've known her all my life she's a lovely person but but she had she was like a real she had a real adventurous spirit in her and when she was in school she wanted to be a physiotherapist oh no oh you can't do that yeah you either become a nurse or you become a civil servant and if you become a civil servant you give up work the moment you get married so it was it was that kind so of that, and she had that kind of drive so it's and that it oppression just, that's gone yes and amazingly yeah. once that oppression once we started to vote for liberalism for divorce later on for abortion for gay rights for tolerance for acceptance amazingly the economy amazingly for some people the economy started to take off and not only did it take off company formation Foreign people came in, said, yeah, that's a cool enough place. I wouldn't mind living there, right? I'll, I'll go and live there. I'm going to bring my talents there. So this idea that economics, you cannot divorce economics from the society. That's the reason, for example, all creative Russians have gone. If you ever go into a shop and you find something that says made in Russia on it, give me a call. Because it's, that's how an economy exists. You've got to make stuff. The Russians, because all the, and I know loads of them, all the creative Russians can't live in Putin's Russia. They cannot live there and they leave. And so you hollow it out, okay? And what we did was that, I don't think we ever twigged this correlation, but the amazing thing in the last 40 years, John, is that if you are open to people's voices that make them different, you will be rewarded in yeah. an abundance of economic growth, of new ideas, of new art, of new culture, everything. I mean, if you even look at Irish literature now, there's an extraordinary renaissance in literature, and writing, everything. So that's what I would say that, you know, when I, when I do economics, I don't ever think of two civil servants writing a paper. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of RTE way. Yeah. say, oh, Jesus, Sean Lamas was a genius. No, he wasn't. That's what I would call the big man in history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I much yeah. prefer the little woman in history. What was she doing? Yeah. What were her dreams? And there's a great expression about what was happening at the time. It's called... Little mutinies were going off in people's heads. And I love that idea that in your own head, you are, you are having a mutiny against dogma. And the economy and society is just all those little mutinies added up together. And once you have a mutinous society, you have an amazingly creative society. Okay, so that's what was going on on, on, the, on the broad scale. Yeah. G stick a little, a few numbers on that in terms no. of... Okay. How Ireland transformed yeah. 
in terms of wealth and income and all the rest? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, like I always, I always, I notice it more when I talk to my in-laws in the north, right? Yeah, okay. Who, who make the point that when they came down south first, eh? I, the roads were appalling. I, and the cars were appalling. The cars! The people, people driving two-tone cars. Do you remember all our cars on our road were two-tone? Yeah. They're panel beaters, right? Yeah. yeah. So, like, when you... There's always different coloured doors. So, if you look, if you, basically, if you look at what's happened, the society's just grown amazingly. I mean, I would say the, the best indicator... And again, things are not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but I always think that idea of don't ever let the perfect bully the good should be your watchword for societies. If things are getting better incrementally... Don't destroy that progress by saying it's not perfect. And that's what ideologues, I, I believe, always do. They put up the perfect and say, we're not there yet, so therefore everything we're doing is inconsequential. And that's not the case. So there's a UN development index, which basically takes economics, but also, John, takes much more, I think, interesting things like education, like longevity, like yeah. health, all those things. And in 1992, uh, Ireland was 27th in the world, which yeah. feels about right. Uh, as to was Slovenia, we were linked with Slovenia, which was the breakaway. Really? The break, yeah, it okay. was northern Yugoslavia, very, very, very impressive country. And what you had was Ireland is now fourth on that. Slovenia yeah. is still 27th. And Slovenia is a very, very so, progressive. So it shows you how difficult, there, how difficult it is to go up in those leagues, right? And I think what happens, and I, I'm not Panglossian, but I think what does happen is that Sometimes when things are happening under your nose, mm. you're inclined not to see them. But also... That's the boiling frog thing. It, and it, but also if you're wedded to an idea, like say, for example, the commentariat to, you know, I'm one of. Yes. If you're wedded to an idea that Ireland's shite, it's very hard to say it's not, yeah. right? Uh, because that's what your whole identity is, is aligned to this idea. And I, I think that, you know, what, what, in, what always interests me about economics is, is this idea... You know, as Beckett said, we go on, right? Yeah. Like why do people go on? Like, why do people get up in the morning? Because something in the back of our head says, tomorrow is going to be better than yesterday. And it's this, uh, it's your man Gramsci, Italian communist, John. Oh. Great beard. Uh, oh, I love a good beard. He's a great beard. He's a great beard. Peter the Great wouldn't like that. He's a great beard. Yeah. He actually ended up being a communist at the wrong time under Mussolini. And Mussolini starved him to death, which is not nice, uh, given how much Mussolini, like the, the, the aggregate weight of the couple stayed the same. Yeah. But he wrote this thing that life was about this constant battle between the optimism of the will and the pessimism of the intellect. So if you think that intellectually, when we go to school and when we learn stuff, we're educated to look for the proof all the time. And by very definition, the intellect tends to be pessimistic. That can't happen. We can't do that. If you analyze this properly, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And this is coming from Gramsci, very interesting communist thinker. And he was saying, but our will, our innate human, is optimistic, right? Uh, you know, which is, you know, why, you know, you break up with people and you just get back in the bloody thing and you fucking eat it. Because yeah, yeah, you think yeah, yeah. next time yeah. it's going to yeah, be different. Yeah. And, She's going to love me more and la, 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 la. It's all going to work. <laughs> so we are inherently... It's never the case. And yeah, yeah, so you see this battle between our intellect and our will, which basically makes us human. Yeah. And it's this constant battle. And I've always believed that that kind of explains the economy more than lots and lots of, 
you know, we say at the top of the yoke, uh, well, not the yoke, obviously, but the, the thing. Well, it uh, is the yoke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to understand the economy, you've got to understand human nature. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and I really believe that. I really believe that. Just, be, just before we finish, give us your outlook for the next year, 24 okay. months. Because, you know, yeah. we have inflation going on. We have... Buy Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> Man, stop, stop. Buy Bitcoin, buy <laughs> NFTs. Buy NFTs of the Dave McWilliams podcast. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, don't buy NFTs of the Dave McWilliams podcast. No, look, we're, look, remember I was saying that all periods have within them the seeds of their own destruction. Yes, yeah. So the reason that this period is coming to an end is that that pendulum swing I was talking about 40 years ago where the economy goes back towards labour and away from capital, I think that's what we're going through. So I think... We're going to have higher levels of wage inflation. Yeah. In fact, what you're seeing in Dublin Airport now is just, I mean, if you imagine inflation is the monetary equivalent of queues. So the, so the bigger the queue, the, the, the higher, higher the inflation. inflation. Yeah, yeah, gotcha, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So, okay. so basically what, what we're seeing in Dublin Airport, we're seeing it all the time. If you see it across every sector in Ireland, and the most fascinating thing is that think about the Ireland that we spoke about of 25 years ago. There was no demand and loads of supply. So people emigrated, because there was loads of us going, gives a job, and nobody gives a job, right? Now we've flipped completely. There's loads of demand, and there's not enough supply. Yeah. And that is a problem, but it's a problem that's fixable, and I would say is more or less insurmountable than having no demand. It took us a long, long time okay. to come up with that thing. So, you know, all the, all, you know, when, when we were younger, and all through the 90s, people emigrated, not out of choice. They emigrated because they had to. So we do have this dilemma We're now. We're two of them. We, yeah, exactly. We are yeah. two of them. But we do have this dilemma now. But I think it is fixable, right? And I think it's fixable because it's focused on a change. Always, when there's always a change, people think, oh, Jesus, we can't get our heads around mm. this. This is why I kept coming back to 1922 and all these yeah. things. Yeah. But basically, the world just revolves. It just spins. It's like the great world spins, as Colin McCann said in that book. And... We're now in an inflationary period where wages are going to rise, where profits are going to be smaller, where governments are going to be bigger, where social housing is going to be more important, where social investment is going to be important. And we're, it's like as if we're just swinging back to a place we were a couple of decades ago. And that, that's why I'm thinking it's only if you see the last two or five years as being the norm. Yeah. Do you get freaked out about what's happening? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you yeah. see it in the long, you know, intergenerational cycle, all we are is going back to the norm. And the norm is one where wages, I mean, I've always said, which is always a fan amazing, high wages are a really good thing. Most economists say, oh, wages are going up, that's terrible. Yeah. I'm thinking, well, I don't know. And in fact, you know, the objective of economics is to have high wages for most people. That's a successful economy. A really unsuccessful economy is a low wage economy. And that's what we don't want here. So as wages go up, we just need to invest much more in productivity, in technology, yeah. and allow people to move up. And I think that will happen. I really do. Well, as demand says, you know, the only constant in this world is change. Exactly. And, it's, and we've got and to embrace that. It's, and it's, it's actually, again, it's what makes the world interesting. And what happens, I always think, I come back to ideology, what ideologues want to take a photograph of the world and keep it constant and fixed yeah. at that time. Yeah. And I don't think that's how the place works at all. Brilliant. Thank you.
So there you go. That was our Island's Edge episode. We hope you enjoyed it and it brought you new ideas, new points of view and a few things for you to think about. Maybe even over a pint of Island's Edge. See you next time.